Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 261 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Jeffrey Nielsen from Chimeric about their arcade roguelite shooter, Nova Drift. And before we start listening to this one, I do have to make an apology. Unfortunately, just before I started recording, I put in a new webcam. Yes, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Sadly, because Skype being the way it is, it's been so very helpful, decided I was going to use the microphone on the webcam, rather than my normal setup snowball microphone, which I use generally for recording shows. And unfortunately, there's a heck of a lot of reverb. I try to get rid of it all. I think it's listenable. I try to get rid of it, but it's it's. Yeah. I wouldn't mind. I don't blame you if you skip this one, but please don't because it's a fantastic conversation with Jeffrey, and he's really got a wonderful game here in the form of Nova Drift. So please. Do forgive me. Uh, I fixed it for next episode. We're fine. It was just I didn't. I did record at five a.m. This show. That's just it's not an excuse, but a reason as to why this happened. So apologies for that. And what a way to begin the year of twenty twenty with this mishap. I am so very sorry to you, listener, and to Jeffrey. But please, I beg of you, please do bear with it. Jeffrey speaks most more than I do, so there is that. So I'm sorry these things happen. Just a schoolboy error. You know, put a new webcam in for the streaming and then I forget that Skype being annoying that the way it is, decided to use the microphone and that. And it was way over across the other side of the room, so there's lots of echo and yeah, I'm so sorry. Anyway. Else on Kane Rince's umbrella, of course it's Kane Rince, um and the Sound of Play and Playwright. All wonderful podcasts and you can find out more about those at Kanerince.com. You can get all the archives for those respective shows. They are fantastic, and I am proud to be part of the Kane and Rince family. We do Twitch streams, of course. Um, I am back on the air this coming Sunday with a Mega Drive or Saturn game. I'm not sure which, there's a reason why. So I've got a brand new custom controller that works on both machines, Saturns and Mega Drives. Don't ask. It's by Retro Fighter. 
And um, yeah, it's quite a, quite a controller. So I'm looking forward to putting it through its paces uh, this coming Sunday. Yet to decide what title will be streaming, but it will be a Saturn or a Mega Drive one, or both. Might have two titles. Unlikely though. Now Patreon, bit of a change there, which is fine. We like change. Change is good. But due to ongoing costs and increase in uh, output, we've had to increase the minimum tier up to two US dollars. Still not a lot of money for the amount of content you get. And also, if you do actually provide some funds via Patreon, you will get uh, episodes of Kane Rinse four weeks earlier than you normally would get them. And that's right. The buffer of time has gone from one week now to four weeks. So if you want to get your very latest episodes and unedited, by the way, episodes of Kane and Rinse, then you have to fork out that $2 a month. But it's not much. It really, really isn't. So uh, do do pop along to patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rinse. That's enough from me. Let's hear my strange warblings from across the room as I attempt to talk to Geoffrey about the rather excellent Nova Drift. Take it away, echoey me. Geoffrey! Hello! Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> I'm Geoffrey Nielsen of Chimeric. I'm a solo game developer working on Nova Drift presently. Indeed you are. And uh, what, what an extraordinary game it is and we're going to talk about Nova Drift at length in the second half of the show and probably a little bit of the first half, let's, let's be fair. There's some bleed over. Regular listeners will know. We can't help ourselves. But before we do delve into Nova Drift, let's uh, talk a bit about your history. Find out a bit more about Jeffrey here. So, sure. how did you start making video games? Oh man, uh, I was as soon as I was aware of video games, I was always starting to, always trying to make them. I was obsessed with my friend's Super Nintendo. <laughs> um, I always had notebooks full of sketches. They would scrawl pages, entire game levels or catalogs of weapons. Uh, and pretty soon it was something my cousins and I would draw together. And uh, by the time we were about 15, we had worked in our first game because they had known a programmer and we played around with pixel art. Uh, so that naturally transitioned into things like uh, RPG maker and game maker. And finally ended up going to college for it with a, uh, video game art and design major, which had just started uh, being an option. And at that time, I had no idea that was an option. I grew up with, uh, you know, my Sega Genesis, and you would always just see nothing but Japanese names in the credits. So it was a huge surprise to me that was even a viable career path. So even when I was actually making them, I, I had no idea that was going to be something I could seriously do. Okay, and... I mean, it's interesting you focus on the SNES and uh, Mega Drive, mm. so Genesis. Sorry. Yeah, I just did not know people who did it in any capacity or had even PC gamed at that age until I was much older. Right. And, of course, that, that sort of, those machines, that, they're all, those all assembly as well. <laughs> scary, <laughs> scarily enough. Um, right. But I'm not suggesting you delve into that realm, because that's a, that's a place no one needs to go anymore. Unless they're still <laughs> making games for the SNES, which they are, apparently. Um, there's some hobbyists out there making uh, making games for old platforms, which is great. Um, but uh, so yeah, you, you you went to university, you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the um, Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Okay, and um, 
And what was your first game you think you made? And do you remember what that was? And was it a finished thing, or was it just like a, a blob floating through space? <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. I think. Not sure. I believe you can still find it if you Google it. Uh, this is the one I made with my cousins when I was about 15. Uh, it was called Worminator, and it was a Terminator parody. Ah. <laughs> and I actually kind of marvel at it, because as an adult, finding the right people to work with and having game development go smoothly, it's a monumental effort. But when you're a child, there's so few inhibitions it just came together almost magically in a way I, I find it incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. You know, these days I have to find somebody who's sort of perfectly aligned to my sensibilities and work ethic and my pace and creative vision. Um, so somehow that just worked. And I think it's because as a kid you're driven by nothing but just excitement to make anything. It doesn't have to be amazing. It doesn't have to be whatever you made before it. You're just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's become my favorite part of as I finally sort of managed to make solo development a thing, it is starting to feel like that again. Right. And to me, that's the most unrestrained way to build something. And what tools are you using at the moment, may I ask? Just to give an understanding, because you're working on your own, which is an extraordinary thing, especially considering how polished and developed um, Nova Drift is. So... What are you using right now? Um, so, first, I should say I do everything except the audio and marketing of the project. Um, so, uh, for artwork, I use uh, Photoshop. And so, they're just vector shapes sort of baked into bitmaps. The whole thing is really light like that. So, there's actually no shaders used or any After Effects. Um, the coding is GameMaker 2, which I can't recommend highly enough. Uh, it's really amazing for somebody who didn't have a very technical background. Like I was, I was an artist until well into my career, artist and animator, um, until only six years ago. And Game Maker allowed me to kind of jump right into that and get a working prototype on day one, on day two. You can run through their tutorials and have something uh, up and running, iterate on it that same day. And I don't think I've seen that anywhere else. Maybe Unity. But still, when you're dealing with a 3D world, there's so many more. Basically, I'm looking for ways to have as few distractions from pure creation as possible because that's what motivates me. And I think that motivates really new developers as well. It's so easy to get bogged down and like, oh, to to learn this, I have to understand C sharp and I don't understand C and I I don't know the interface. And Game Maker skips all that. You just do a tutorial and then you're good. Yeah, and we all know Hotline Miami is made by Game Maker. Right. And that's one of the most celebrated games in recent times. Um, yeah, as soon as people hit a snag, they risk falling off of it, or you get into that that hole where you start making excuses of like how you can't do it and why, and mm-hmm. just cut that away. Yeah, yeah. Many people have said to me, because you haven't made a game yet. Oh, no. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like, and the biggest barrier, quite frankly, is uh, it's time. Time. Mm-hmm. So I actually can code C and stuff. I do know how to do that. It's just like time. It's just like, but yeah, eventually it's going to happen, Jeffrey. It's going to happen. I'm going to have to interview myself. Right. But, <laughs> but, but for now, we're chatting to you, Jeffrey. And uh, I just wanted to ask that because 
it's important to know that a lot of the listeners may be budding developers themselves that uh, one of the reasons they're listening to this to understand what kind of tools and things you can do out exist out there and it is it is much 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 simpler than it was ever before uh, not oh, that I'm yeah. going to downgrade or actually denigrate what you've done or any else. No, and that's really important. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk a bit more about that if you don't mind. Um, because yeah. until I was, um, like I said, six years ago, I, I honestly believed it wasn't something I could do. So my message has always been in my Discord, we have a little game dev channel where I help people start. Um, I always believed it was something for somebody else. And especially as an artist, you get you get sort of raised as one, if you know what I mean. Like people are, are fantastic about cultivating that part of you, but you're also kind of at risk of, um, of typecasting yourself. And, and you see something like coding and it looks so hieroglyphic and esoteric. It's really easy to convince yourself that the people who are doing it have something that you don't. And I, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. So I, I do want to emphasize that to anybody who's thinking about game development, you, you, can, you can figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I've got books on the subject. I'm not kidding. I'm this <laughs> very close. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But yes, it's just you know, uh, just getting the, finding the right time and game and stuff like that. I really should stop playing pen and paper RPGs because they take way too long to prepare for. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm a GM, you see, so I do a lot of prep and. So, I mean, there's a lot of game design in being a GM. It's so hard. It is. It is. Behind that screen, no one knows unless you're another GM. Then they understand. <laughs> yep. No one really knows what it's like when someone says, "What about that thing?" Oh, <laughs> I haven't read anything about the thing. Now I'm going to have to make mm-hmm. it up, and I'm going to have to put it into the. Thanks. So that's uh, anyway. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's. I do I do think there's a commonality or correlality, if you will. Is that word uh, between uh, being behind that uh, TM screen and video game development because it's uh, creating experiences for people to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, generally, not always, because not all video games are about fun. This is a thing. People don't really <laughs> understand that. But, uh, yeah, okay, so let's move on to the third infamous question, uh, which uh, I think I've got, I don't know what the answer to this one, but I hope so anyway. But um, as a creator of things, Jeffrey, what are your biggest influences? Um, I would say that I'm mostly driven by trying to create things that don't, that I want to exist but do not exist yet. And uh, each year there's a sort of, different mechanic I'm hooked on that I want to fully explore. Um, so that's, one year it was... That's very profound. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Um, yeah. So one year it was Binding of Isaac. Another year it was something like Slay the Spire. And now I'm presently examining all different deck mechanics and what makes them feel good, what makes it hard for people. Uh, so I look for titles that really elegantly break down those aspects. And they're all sort of starting to converge on the common thread of roguelites that encourage player creativity because really I just want to build things that let me keep building <laughs> and that's demonstrated yeah. um, amply with, uh, with, with Nova Drift because that's the as, as, a, as, a, as a player of Slave Aspire um, I, I remember still still remember encountering that game not at official packs but the side thing called Seattle Independent Ex- Indie Expo or 6 mm. 
And it was on the top of the floor of the Motif Hotel, as it was as it is known. It was called something else back then. And um, I was just like, oh, what's this? This, uh, this looks a bit sketchy. Uh, well, it's, it's, got, it's got a promise, though. Let's have a go. And I sat down innocently, not realising I was probably playing one of the most celebrated games of current times. Yeah, I imagine they were as surprised as players were. Yeah, because I said again, it's all right, there's some balance issues. I said that to them, they went, yeah, yeah, we know. Because it was, at that time, it was uh, it was deeply unfair, um, which is a tricky <laughs> thing. It was just like, oh, because I didn't do that combo right then, I <laughs> really? And he goes, yeah, I know. Uh, but now it's 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 a it's a beautiful beautiful thing to behold. But uh, I saw it a pre-alpha kind of thing, you know. So hello, we've got this thing. Is it that kind of like um, complete lack of uh, understanding what they created? We've had them on the show. I'm mm. happy to say. Uh, oh, I'd love to hear that episode. Yeah, managed to get them on because I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to oh I discovered them. No, nonsense. Um, but I was just one of the <laughs> Earlier, earliest players to encounter it, and, uh, and every, it's everywhere, which is lovely. Uh, yeah, more, more than lovely. It's, it's something to celebrate, which I do. Um, but uh, there is definitely a spirit of that player creativity that Nova Drift uh, trips with, and we're going to delve into that later in the show. But I can't help but not make mention of it now because that's your answer is just. Not surprising, uh, but very well put. That yes, the joy of creation, uh, despite the fact that you spend most of your time in over just blowing everything up. It's a joy of, yep. creatively it's a, blowing things up. Yeah, it's a dichotomy. There you go. It's a, <laughs> there, 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 there's a whole therapy session right there. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, next question then. And uh, I always rattle this question off way too quick, and then the developer had no idea what you just said. So I'm going to try and break it down a little bit, just so we can we can revel a little bit into this. What developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? Oh, I have a good answer for that one. Okay, um, so that's easily Grinding Gear Games. Uh, grinding Gear Games. They've uh, built Path of Exile, which is Nova Drift's biggest uh, inspiration, and I've. I've written a blog piece on that in my blog for anyone who wants to hear more about what I derived from it and why and what lessons were learned. And they were very gracious about it, which was one of the reasons I admire them so much is they're not trying to compete with me. They're encouraging. They have a very indie spirit for being a AAA company. They're all about like, let's just encourage everyone to make things as good as possible. And I even saw it the other day I was, browsing their forum and one of their players had said oh you know i've played thousands of hours of path of exile i'm getting kind of burnt out do you guys have any other uh games to recommend and i think it was their lead designer had come on and said oh hey have you heard of path, uh, nova drift it's 25 percent off right now. <laughs> i just i've never seen anything like that before you know like such uh such a huge success story of a company but they're you know, shouting out the little guys. And uh, in, in addition to that, they're also really attuned to what their players want. Um, their business decisions never undermine what the company wants or what good design would be. And they're constantly iterating on an uh, already amazing product. I, I want to be like that. Yeah, that, that's really 
it started off. Um, I remember seeing it first time at another, yeah, another PAX many years ago, and they were like trying to convince people like this, this is a real game. You know, it's free to play. There. No, no, no one plays free to play. We still put Candy Crush. Not go away. And that was the, basically the, the feeling was that you know, free to play was and it still is, is um, a pariah uh, in the industry. But they got it right somehow. Yes. It's yes. Ethical uh, free-to-play. <laughs> ethical free-to-play. You know, it's uh, there are many games out there that are basically not free. It's um, uh, free-to kind of experience, but only like a, a, a hundredth of what the actual game is. Uh, what are the, those kind of games, I call them pay-to-function. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Ah. <laughs> so it's like, well, you can, you can kind of got a gist, but, you know, you can only play a quarter of the screen. Uh, between the hours of 3 and 4 a.m. Um, on a Tuesday. Uh, then, 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 that's free, isn't it? <laughs> but the rest I of saw I... The most, <laughs> uh, I saw the most egregious marketing ploy I've seen in my life on Reddit just last week, I think it was. Um, so it's a paid game. This, this, I don't remember what the title was. It was some little game. But... Uh, it was a paid game that also had microtransactions. And one of the things it would do is it would put an ad on the side of the screen and the ad actually tracks your finger position and tries to get under your finger. And that will open a pop-up window to another game's promotion. Wow. Yeah, it's next level. Disgusting. What really annoys me is someone spent effort. effort yeah, that's, that's somebody's making, vocation. Making sure that happened. <laughs> And that without any kind of like self, you know, you know, awareness, like what are you, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Would you like this? Would you like that? You know, <laughs> I'm going back to when I'm, you know, being a GM, and one of the things that guides me is the best GMs are the ones you play because mm. they know what's fun and what's engaging and what's yes. not annoying, and what. So they're that's you know, which kind of. Links on to my next question. By the way, uh, grinding gear games is a great answer, um, and uh, yeah, thanks for that. And uh, so I need to play that, that game more, but it's just too many. It's just uh, it's great, great place to be in this in this realm where you play it's too many games. It's just too many games. But <laughs> anyway, last question of the first half. What are you playing right now? Um, so the, the answer is usually Path of Exile, but I'm taking a break from it so I don't burn out. Okay. Excited? They're they're gonna reboot the game in the game, which is yeah, they are, yeah. yeah. Um, but right now I'm playing Destiny Two, oh. um, which I think is just elegant and beautiful in a lot of little ways. And okay. I, I I try to play things that give me good ideas, and that is just masterclass and uh, purity, I guess you could say. What is it With, about the game? What, what key components? Not, let's not break it down. Let's not do a full review of Destiny Two. That would be absurd sure. and tedious. But what are the key key things that you <laughs> like leech from it and draw from it? I know I've got my own things, but what are your what are the things mm. you've got about it? That is tough. I, I, I guess it, it does what Novative tries to do also, which is to create something very mechanically deep that isn't alienating at all. And you can see that in their skill tree very well. And everything is done with the most utmost attention to aesthetics, 
And so you, you know, you right click your character's little power icon and it expands into three trees, very neatly portrayed, very easy to understand. But as you as a player increase your skill, you start discovering the deep synergies that these things have um, on other systems in the game, like the mods that weapons can drop with. Um, so at first glimpse, it appears to be like, wait, I can only choose three subclasses for three elements? That's and, and they're all similar skills? That's not much. But then it's completely understandable, and you only realize when you're ready to be given that information how deep it truly can go. And that's that's everything when you're trying to make a game that is both as deep as you as an advanced gamer want it to be, but doesn't scare away new players. And as a solo developer, that's really, really important. I kind of have to try to make everybody happy or my player base won't really be big enough. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really, really good point. I've never, that's not the thing I was going to be expecting, but then again, reflection, I should have done. because Yeah, right. tell me. Yeah, because um, I thought... Um, one of the key things is a bit facile, not facile, but um, it's it's just the, the feeling that the game gives you, the feedback loop that you get from experiencing the ridiculous world that is Destiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, it's, it's you, gorgeous it, too. It is. <laughs> I mean, it's just that feeling of a oh, like, headshot. Yeah, you really did. And it's like it's uh, oh, you know, uh, when, when you take out vast swathes of enemies uh, in, in when you do one of those super shots uh, you know when you're playing a warlock and stuff and you sort of actually trade a singularity right the feedback and the yeah. uh yeah how kinetic everything is yes how easy to, yeah yeah and uh, game playing, feel that's hard <laughs> playing through that single player campaign which absurdly is now free <laughs> right it's <laughs> just like what uh, it's a wonderful and beautiful experience it's an extraordinary game I mean it doesn't there's some little hiccups here and there but you can expect that with something so epic but generally speaking yeah. it's a, it's an extraordinary thing um, but for me there are little subtleties that I always explain and point out to people and they go oh yeah so one of mm-hmm. the things that Bungie can do and they've been doing it for decades is they really understand the player experience, what mm-hmm. that person's doing when they're holding the controller, or indeed messing around with a mouse and keyboard, because remember they started back then as, as RTS sort of developers and stuff with um, with uh, myth and, and that kind of thing. So um, it's always been about making sure that the player knows what the hell's going on <laughs> at all times. I mean, it's yes. like it's like you you should be aware of what. And one of the most subtle things, and I've explained this to developers on and various shows and stuff, is that we only see it in eclipse, like shape, ellipse, I should say, an ellipse, eclipse, ellipse of shape uh, on the screen. The periphery, the outer periphery, is very difficult for us to see. And uh, Destiny's really good at demonstrating this, but the health bar is a little crescent. Just mm. You don't have to look. It's always there. You, you always can see it. You always know your state of health. Simple thing. You always know. Yet, so many developers get this wrong. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for building the same genre for decades. Exactly. You, just, you become the expert on that thing. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I knew what that thing was for me into this year, but I think 
it's going to be something akin to either deck building or module based sort of mechanical yeah build choices you can't be all things to all people we, we, we mentioned this to another developer a few episodes back about the you know how super giant games are doing their thing and mm-hmm. they're doing those act, third person action adventure games and uh, they have a style they have a, a narrative uh, yeah they do sort of <laughs> And uh, they are very different games, very different people that they involve in different worlds, but ultimately they have a groove. Mm-hmm. They, have a, they have a sound. Yeah, that's what allows them to just, just yeah. ooze with style. Exactly, because you know what you're going to get, kind of. Although <laughs> although when I played Pyre, I went, wait, you made a rugby game? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't played that one yet. Now I have to. Totally is. It's like, wait, you made it? Yeah, we have. Okay. <laughs> Just not expecting that from you. I know. Oh. <laughs> but it's still a wonderful adventure game. But it has a rugby game in the middle of it, which is really, right. really innovative and different. Um, so, yeah. It's, I wasn't expecting that from them. And, yeah, wonderful stuff. And their latest one, Hades, is exceptional. So, yes, uh, love it. Yeah, and that's in early access still at the moment. I think they're out early next year. I'm going to get them back on the show because they've been on the show before to get them back. But uh, I think I'm going to wait a little bit for Hades is to continue to be polished for mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah, that's another one to pay attention to for very clearly develer- delivered mechanical choice. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Right, let's end in the first half. All right. Uh, let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep to Nova Drift. Nova Drift. Okay. Um, Nova Drift is a ship-crafting roguelite with innumerable shipbuilding possibilities crammed inside of an asteroid's shell. Uh, so every time you play, your character can be totally different, but a, go- a game only lasts 20 minutes, so there's a huge amount of potential for 
tinkering, rapid iteration, experimentation. Uh, the replayability comes from that, so you get that kind of um, just one more game effect. Yeah, that 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 could put it better myself. <laughs> um, just the just one more game thing. Oh heavens! <laughs> Five and hours what, later. <laughs> yeah, it's just a case of how can I put this? It's like oh, that was an interesting experience. I wonder what it would be like if I did this, and you go and do the thing. And you go, yeah, that was nothing like the experience I just had. Uh, that's like every extent extra. And it's like, what's that about? One minute I'm playing Asteroids, next minute I'm playing every extent extra. Which is <laughs> yeah, <I> people, <laughs> it's hard getting across that that is the experience people are yeah. going to have. It's it's really going to appeal more to people who like um, FTL or Slay the Spire, Binding of Isaac, more than it would somebody who loves shmups yeah. or Gradius. And that is uh, difficult from a marketing perspective to solve. Yeah, for. because when you, when you see this, this, the static screens, you go, okay, it's, it's, it's George Wars. No, no. No, it, no. and I get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with George Wars at all, as you and I no, know. No, it's gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. a beautiful, beautiful thing. But this is not that. And, uh, well... Let's delve. Let's, let's let's talk a little bit about this. Let's see how this works because at the moment we've been hinting about all sorts of things to the listener, which is cruel yet fun. Let's uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's 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 really get into what Novajit is about. At least I'll try to with these questions. So there is a point in Novajit where you reach a state of equilibrium. Oh, that's cool. I call it that. I know it's not that, but humour me, if you will. Uh, this equilibrium is in terms of damage output and your own defences. I mean, you just basically are more or less immortal. <laughs> uh, I know you're not, uh, but you get the feeling, feeling that you are. Um, what have you done with Novadrift to uh, balance against this, to ensure, I say balance against this, it's another phrase of saying, how do you maintain the challenge without risking the player becoming, uh, how can I put it deliberately, bored? Mm. Um, it's a constant battle, that level of, or that particular balancing aspect. And uh, having a constant discussion with the community has been extremely pivotal. Uh, pivotal. It's a really community-driven game. I'm in the Discord every day, and there's a balance channel where we're always discussing, you know, what is the most underappreciated mods? What could we improve to make those used more? What's too strong? Um, so your typical balance challenge. Uh, and then there's the aspect where the game tries to sort of compensate for that fact. And that's why we have the modular difficulty you can enable. Um, so if somebody is blazing through it, there's always a level they can turn on to make it a little harder. And the game also does a bit to help you. Like if you blow through enemies and you end a wave early, you're never waiting. It's just going to send the next wave uh, right after you, after a very tiny break. Um, but eventually I did discover that the what the enemies do, what the waves do, is actually the most um, out-of-date uh, uh, part of the game. This project's been going on for about five years now, and when I began it, it was simply a hobby project, seeing if I could you know, learn to code. Mm -hmm. And um, so <laughs> the trouble I run into with constantly iterating 
is you're always raising the bar and that's always exposing some other part of it that you built five years ago that needs some work. So right now there's a big enemy overhaul and a wave overhaul that is designed to be better at handling that exactly what you're asking about. Like providing a challenge that isn't just adding more bullets, more meat to the screen for the player to chew through, but creating things that are very tactically difficult. So even a very powerful build would need to carefully maneuver and plan and slow everything down a bit so it fully takes advantage to how how much potential you have for setup combos in the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, we really want to build that focuses on um, making that one perfect shot to be every bit as vi- um, viable as a screen that f- or a build that would fill the screen with bullets and just fire as fast as possible. Um, yeah. I, I feel like games that let you encourage you to do that always become a bit degenerative and you're kind of wasting the potential of a tactical game if that ends up being the most efficient thing to do Um, yeah i digress but yeah it's a constant battle (laughs) yeah i mean there's always that risk of you creating the bfg but that's your only weapon at the time (laughs) and you want the player to be excited about doing that and be able to do it but its weaknesses have to matter enough that they are always compensating for something that's right with the course of weakness of the bfg is that the ammunition is is more or less non-existent in the game and when you fire Mm. it you need to make sure that you fire it just at the right time at the right optimum moment otherwise well you've just killed one demon with with the biggest gun in the entire game (laughs) kill you but how do you feel now you know it's it's it's, there's that aspect that's a very sort of uh um, obvious gameplay mechanic limit that but you've had to be much more clever about it and say well okay you've got these guided missiles over there that blow everything up but what about that massive thing coming up right behind you oh oops never mind yeah it did uh, result in some pretty interesting solutions one of which uh, I would immediately think of is uh, there's a mod in the game called Hidden Power and right. what it does is it, it takes away your weapon, but it makes everything in the game take 50% more damage from everything you do, and it gives you a bunch of defenses. And I love this mod because every player who initially sees it is like, what? This is garbage. How, how would you even do this? So it encourages them to make that sort of mental switch from that's ridiculous to, wait a minute, what can I do with this? Yeah. And that teaches you that the game can be so much more than a shooter. Like, you can fly around the screen as a comet and smash through enemies or... Um, uh, build a thorns build with your shields Um, but I had to do some pretty interesting things to make that always as viable as a weapon that can shoot across the entire screen so one of the stats that the game uses is something called um, recovery Um, and this works like whenever you're not shooting you're basically better at regenerating your shield and you're better at healing so it just gives a little push from a core mechanic to Rewarding players for doing things other than shooting that are inherently usually weaker. And yet, oh, in the game, you could do these things. It's <laughs> just, you are a little ship flying around uh, that can shoot, typically, that has a little shield, usually. <laughs> uh, but uh, unless you then change it up, like you say, then you go charging around screaming ramming speed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, alternatively, um, you just become death-dealing, sort of missile-launching, and that's one of my favourite ones that happened. I actually played, you know, uh, it just kept on going. I was just like, oh, come at me, bro. 
Uh, <laughs> until eventually something went, oh, okay, fine. Oh, ow, 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 and explode. But, uh, yeah. Um, I want to talk about the, the power-ups now, because we've already mentioned them. So, just so everyone knows, when you're shooting things, you pick up little glowing little crystal things. And when you pick those up, you actually gain sort of experience points. And then these experience points, once you gain a certain level um, or amount of them, you then gain a level. And then you can actually upgrade your ship. So when that happens, it does on the fly. It basically turns Nova Drift into something you've made, rather than what the, the developer, Comeric, um, uh, um, has actually done. You've actually like, oh, no, you're now creating the experience uh, within 30 seconds of you starting to play. And so these power-ups, they link together to complement one another. Um, how have you designed these? Um, again, it's just making things that I wish I could do when I play it, or things that players have said they really wish they could do. Uh, the ramming one, I think, is interesting to talk about, because that was born with my wife playing, and she realizes, you know, at the beginning of the game, it's actually pretty effective just to slam into things. And I could have told her that that is suboptimal, or I could have made an avenue where that was a way you could build the game. And so it was that aha moment. So what would it really take to make that feel good? And yeah. as the enemies got more and more capabilities, there's this sort of arms race with what the player had to be able to do to deal with them in that state where they couldn't shoot. And I feel like that's where it really, I sort of realized what the game was. So the design informs itself, the players inform the design, and your own desires shape that too. Yeah, well, the thing about people uh, defaulting to the shooting sort of mechanic, which is fine, and I do find myself drifting towards, uh, no, no pun intended, um, and uh, that um, <clears throat> it's fine, but you need to know where you are. And because of the yeah. state of the game and how maneuverable and how the ship moves, which we're going to talk about in a moment, it's, that's quite difficult sometimes. Uh, wait, where am I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so and that's one of the reasons for the, the wave rework, is to reduce the need to spam the screen and have yeah. the threats be more meaningful yeah. than ubiquitous. <laughs> exactly. And there are times when the enemies come along, I really need to get to them, and uh, I'm going to have to uh, risk myself to actually move. Oh, what a, what a pity. Because, as you've already established... The movement mechanic uh, for Nova Drift is, at its root, asteroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a game that's 40 years old um, and was featured in an episode of Kane and Rince uh, a couple of weeks back, about a month ago now. And I just want to know why. <laughs> okay. I love that era. Okay. Um, I feel like when games started to become 3D, there is this age where people were suddenly obsessed with what the graphics were doing instead of what the mechanics were doing. And by the time we came back to sort of uh, art for art's sake, we missed out on a lot of experimentation of old mechanics that we could have done. And so I look for sort of things that I very highly regard, nostalgic mechanics that I like. And I think, well, what, what would that have been like if that just continued to evolve and feel better until today. And that's what a half of it. The other half is I don't really want to do exactly what other people are doing. And there are so many twin stick shooters. Um, the asteroid steering mechanic 
has advantages. And one of those things that coincides with the game being tactical is that your facing matters. Uh, so it can become meaningful that your thrusters burn enemies or that you have a, a shield that only blocks damage from the front of your ship. Um, you can do a backstab mechanic if you want it, right? Like, that is so much more tactical than just shooting toward your mouse and moving wherever you want. And it's also a constant battle from a marketing perspective to sort of get people to accept something that their their train should be less limited. But I'm also frequently getting the feedback from people that they're thankful for this because once they gave it a shot, they really started to see the value in that limitation. And a huge amount of design is deriving value from limitations. But I digress. It's <laughs> I, loved, I loved that game and I wanted to know what it would feel like. Um, I also think that it's such a interesting way to design to find something that is a very pure arena for uh, constantly adding content. So like those old Smash TV type games where there's nothing but a, a, a sort of a constant uh, onslaught of enemies and uh, Binding of Isaac kind of works this way too in that you're always just served a new room. And it's all about what you can do in that room. Um, it lets a developer design incredibly fast with very few resources, which is really important um, with the sort of structure I've created. As long as I'm constantly creating content, I can generate new excitement, get people more involved, but most importantly, keep myself excited about continuing to work on it. So I, I love shells like that, that minimize the distractions to sort of pure creation. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, from, from the simple question of, wait, why have you just gone with asteroids to, you know, uh, existential description <laughs> <laughs> of the, 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 how people have moved away from actual playing the games and just focused on, you know, horse armor? It's, you know, it's, <laughs> that's basically what you, and you're basically reeling your back going, do you remember this games thing we used to? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, that's a that's much more concise yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but you're right. Um, Asteroids is a very pure game, much like uh, games like Robotron, uh, which still exude uh, uh, a wonderful experience, even after all these years. Um, less so Defender, not a big fan on reflection. I think it's just... It's just, oh, look, this is just, oh, oh no, zombie thing. They're going too fast. I, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's my, that's my experience every time I play Defender it's like oh, I'm, yeah that's right I'm rubbish at this one time I've told these years still never got any better and it's not something I sort of get drawn to I try but the experience is, is leaves a little bit desired but when it comes to things like Asteroids and and, uh, and, uh, and Robotron and uh, I'm trying to think of a few others but uh the other ones immediately speak to Galaxians. That's pretty good. That that still holds up. Yeah. Uh, and it's very. Even if they don't hold up, it's still worth asking the question: like, well, why did I like this back then? Yeah, yeah. Well, what was the thing that drew me back then? Uh, what was the thing that made me bounce off Defender? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's unfair. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. Right. So, my last question to you. 
Um, and this concerns something that goes back to what we talked about earlier about the experience that you deliver you deliver with, uh, with Nova Drift, what you're trying to do with Nova Drift, is the sound design. I'm not sure what you're doing, but what you've enabled, but it really does feel that it adds to the player's awareness about what's going on and where they should be going, where they shouldn't be going, <laughs> and, what they, <laughs> or, and what they've done. Can you talk us through how that evolved? Well, um, the sound is all by Miles Tillman. He's um, co-founder of Pixel Jam Games, who's the game's publisher, uh, who also handles the music and marketing. And so he's he's a great match to work with. He does literally everything I don't know how to do or don't like doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't speak to it much. Uh, it's it's an area I don't have much expertise in at all. But he, I could tell you that Miles Tillman has always been uh, fantastic at doing, I guess, what you'd call period pieces. It. Very good at evoking the the spirit of the source material and the atmosphere you're trying to portray with that medium. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, I just get the sense that there's a, a player feedback loop that they you know they're rewarded for doing the things that they're mm. supposed to be doing, and there was also um, when things arrive, they, they almost yell their arrival, like, mm. hey, look, look at me, look, I'm yeah, interesting, aren't I? It is, yeah, but it's just very proud, loud and proud, like, I'm, I'm here to be blown up, maybe, or I blow you up. How about that? Yeah. yeah. Was that always blips and bloops. Indeed, but it is just like that, that feeling of, like, it's almost as if there's an announcer for a uh, a very grand party. And now, the strange spinny thing with the huge orb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's that? I have no idea, but try and blow it up. Good luck with that. <laughs> and the boss monsters are fantastic for that as well. They are. They have lots of sounds and stuff. And it does. some of them remind me of things like from Mikaruga and stuff. Well, I'm sure there's a subconscious or conscious sort of tribute to some enemies that you've uh, encountered in other shooters is that right oh yeah every i mean everything's a everything's been put in the blender now and that's a good yeah. thing like just sometimes you don't even know where you got it or how it, no. so what's that it affects oh, but everything from japanese uh shmups to a completely other genre i'm, I'm sure there's something from undertale in there you know just it yeah. all goes into the blender indeed indeed and this is how these things are made afterwards only six stories apparently that's that's why i would encourage developers not to worry too much i hear often people are saying well i have this cool idea but i'm worried it's too similar to something else so i'm not going to do it but i would say don't worry too much about that because if you are a driven creator by the time you're done with it it's going to be your own thing it's going to be something else it may start off as a complete ripoff of something you played and it evolves into something else because you're a human being and you're creating something. Yeah, if you're somebody yeah. who worries, you're going to find the value that in it that that other game doesn't have. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. And it's, it'll be your thing. And then if you ever release it to out to the outer world and wilds and, um, and uh, yes, people start playing it, 
it ceases to be your thing because then it's someone else's. Because <laughs> they're experiencing it. And that's what the beauty of creation is. When you create something and let others experience the thing you created, it then ceases to be just yours. Yes, and, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sometimes you've just got to let go. Just got to let go. Yeah. Which is great. So, Noble Drift uh, by Carmeric. By the way, the name of the your, the name you've chosen for your development thing. What what, what uh, where's it come from? Uh, chimera, the yeah. mythological creature or biological term, if you want. I'm fine with both. <laughs> um, I, I could tell you that it's because I like to fuse the mechanics of different types of games, but the more Honest answer is probably that I really like mythological creatures and I had about three days to come up with something. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a better <laughs> one. I like that. That's, that's good. One of my favorite board games is uh, Cyclades or Cyclades. Yeah. And uh, that's just filled with mythical creatures to the point it has a kraken in it. Yes. My next game will definitely be featuring mythological creatures one way or another. It will I tell people, I want to play this game, so what's it about? So, um, but I start sort of describing the mechanics, as you do, and you go, you know, I just give up and go, it's got a crack in it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> do you get to control it? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> it, it costs Mirror's a lot of like money. That. Yeah, it, it, costs, it costs a lot of effort and resources to control it, as you'd expect. But yeah, te- I would, yeah. technically, you can control it. <laughs> It's a Kraken. What do you want? <laughs> it's a Kraken. What do you want? Uh, there's another game for the main same author called uh, Kemet. And I actually say, well, it's got a giant scorpion in it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> say no more. Say no more. I'm sitting there right now. That's it. Do I get to control it? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's good anyway. to know there's demand for this. There is. Oh, I believe there is. So, Number Drift is out on early access at the moment. Uh, on Windows PC and Mac, is that correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Love to bring it to phones, to the Switch, just do whatever I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm playing it on my Windows PC, uh, but I do have a Mac uh, laptop as well, so uh, all of the bases covered. So, Jeffrey, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, thank you. You've been uh, very open and honest and uh, describing your thought processes to everyone about how Nova Drift came into being. So thanks for that. Now, of course, you're more than welcome to come back on the show to tell about whatever next is cooking in your head when Nova Drift is released years from now. We'll be, we'll be here. Trust me. Oh, we'll right. That here. sounds great. Uh, we've had a lot of return guests. In fact, I'm actually lining up another return guest as we, as we're recording. So, uh, that's exciting. But, um, yeah, again, thanks very much. Thank you.